Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California at Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, second year child and psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, everyone. Third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, everybody. And second year psychiatry resident and graduate of Brown University, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Good afternoon, Dr. Parks. <laughs> uh, the views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, welcome to today's show. Uh, we're going to discuss trans issues, uh, but especially in the context of the comments and the essay by Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling. Um, we did talk a little bit about that in a previous episode, Cancel Culture, um, but we felt that we needed more information. We felt we needed more of someone who's knowledgeable in the area. So that's why we have a special guest we're very honored to have, Dr. Jamie Wood. She's an assistant professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at UCR. Dr. Woods, why don't we just start by um, allowing you some time to kind of introduce yourself and about your qualifications and such. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Parks, and I appreciate the very kind introduction. To carry that a little bit further, I'm Jamie Woods. I'm Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at the University of California, Riverside. I'm originally a pharmacist by training. I went back to medical school and actually did primary care medicine for about eight years before going back and doing a second residency in psychiatry. I'm boarded in psychiatry, subspecialty certified in psychopharmacology, and my areas of academic interest include the neurobiology of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, autism spectrum disorders, and I, yes, I do have a special interest in gender dysphoria because I am a transgender female, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you sound, if, if uh, Dr. Wood sounds just a little bit different, it's because she is broadcasting from home, um, and so she just sounds a little, her, uh, the, the, the quality of the sounds a little bit, but it's really good. Um, that you're, you're joining us here today. So one of the first questions I want to kind of ask you is maybe you could provide some introduction about uh, terminology. Um, I feel sometimes people get a little bit bogged down with that and sometimes it's they're hesitant maybe to use the correct terminology that they fear that they might use the wrong terminology, things like that. Well, the first thing that everybody needs, the first um, definition that everybody needs to understand is uh, an ally, a person who's not LGBTQ+, plus but shows support for people on our spectrum. What about androgynous? That's a person that identifies as neither masculine nor female. What about asexual? That's a person that has no sexual preference at all. The person's just not interested in sex. I'm gray sexual. I'm mostly, I'm a 65-year-old trans woman on estrogen. I'm not usually interested, but if they're cute enough, well, we'll see what happens. Other people are bisexual. They're interested in both men and women. But a variant of that is pansexual, which is kind of the way I am when I am sexually interested, which means that I'm also attracted to gender nonconforming or non-binary people. These are people that do not identify on either end of the gender binary. Then, of course, the most important thing is cisgender and transgender. Just like the cis bond in organic chemistry and the trans bond, which is across the double bond, that's the way we describe our gender. Transgender people make up about 0.6% of the population of the United States, or according to the Williams Institute, or about one in every 166 people. 
since there was about 160 people in my graduating class, that means there's got to be one in every medical school class. I was mm. the transgender person in mine, and there's probably one in every medical school class at least nowadays. So cisgender just simply means that you identify with the sex that you were assigned at birth. Transgender just means that you identify as a sex different than you were assigned at birth. So if you have somebody that was born male, identifies as male, and is only interested in women, that person is a cisgender heterosexual male. And then, of course, we have other terms like closeted and coming out. Gender dysphoria is just the dysphoria that we live when we are forced to live in an environment that doesn't acknowledge our gender identity or our intersecting identities. Gender fluid just simply means that that person's gender exists on a spectrum and they can exist and they can identify more masculine on one day and more feminine on the other day. That's also called gender queer too as well. What about our gender expression? That's how we express our gender. Our sexual expression is how we express. I've identified as female since I was five years old, but I expressed male because of the draconian environment in the South until only about three years ago. So um, uh, let's see what else we need to talk about. Transphobia and homophobia, we'll talk about that when we start talking. Yeah, no, that's a lot. Thank you so much. Can we revisit the gray sexual thing? Um, Is that about gray area? Is that where the gray comes from? Yes, that's exactly right. I'm mostly not interested in sex, but if the guy or the girl is cute enough, then... um, I can get it arrested. So the gray area is between sexual and asexual. Gray sexual just means I don't have the sexual uh, appetite that most people do. I'm a notch above asexual. Those people have no sexual appetite. I'm gray sexual, which means I can be aroused, but it would really have to be a special circumstance. Thank you. Gotcha. So anyway, let's talk about that. Let's talk about our five intersecting identities because this is something that most people don't know about because all their identities line up and they don't intersect. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, the genderbred person, uh, which is uh, Samuel Kitterman's, uh, uh, you can find it on Google. It talks about our five identities. So I want to spend a couple of seconds talking about these five identities, which for a very small per- percentage of us, they intersect. Most people don't know they have five identities because everything lines up. Mm -hmm. The first thing that we want to talk about is our gender identity. How do we identify? For greater than 99% of people out there in the United States, you guys identify with the gender that was assigned and the sex that was assigned to you at birth. I was assigned male at birth, but I knew when I was about four or five years old that I didn't know... I didn't know what I was, but I knew what I wasn't, and I wasn't male. But there was no transgender in 1968 when I was uh, starting middle school. There was no YouTube. Electrons haven't, hadn't even been invented until 1975. So we didn't have the Internet. Younger trans people have a little bit of advantage nowadays because they can talk about hormones with someone in Portland, Oregon, and they can talk about fashion with someone in Portland, Maine. The word transgender didn't exist in the 1968 World Book Encyclopedia. So I didn't know what I was, but the Southern Baptist Church told me that I was a freak, an abomination, and I need to be cured of my affliction. So that was my gender identity, even though I didn't have the terminology back in the day. And I've always identified as female. However, my sex assigned at birth was male, and that's what created 
this transgender uh, identity that I have. Then, of course, there is our gender expression. As I started to state before, I expressed female for the uh, expressed male for the best part of my life, even though I identified as female, because it was just not possible for me in the South in the 60s and 70s to be able to express my gender without severe consequences, which still happened as recently as three years ago. And then there's our sexual attraction, and this is very, very, uh, it's, it's a very important point, because however you identify, I identify as female, but my sexual preference, that means that I can be a female identifying person that's attracted to women, in which case I would be lesbian, but I would be, if, if I were a female identifying person that was sexually attracted to men, I would be heterosexual. So my sexual preference is totally different from my gender identity. Just like anybody else's sexual preference can be different from their gender identity. If you're a homosexual man, your sexual preference is the same as your gender identity. And the same thing for lesbians too as well. They can have a sexual preference that's you know, different than what most people have, and transgender people can do that too. Our last intersecting identity is who we can fall in love with. I'm pan-romantic. I can fall in love with men. I can fall in love with women. I can fall in love with my cats. So to make a long story short, I'm a pansexual, actually gray-sexual, pansexual, pan-romantic, feminine, expressing trans woman. That sounds like a mouthful. But if you're working with patients who are transgender, it's really important to get comfortable with the idea of these five uh, and with trans people intersecting identities. That's a great point. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Sure. Yeah, thank you for that because that does clear up, for at least for me, it does clear up a lot um, to keep in mind also. And it brings to mind why some folks have some issues. So let's kind of move to that and, and J.K. Rowling's piece because I think some people hearing that will think, uh, will get confused or will feel like um, there'll be like, there's maybe this mental habit of wanting it to be just these, this binary kind of notion perhaps. Um, and I'm not sure if that is part of why J.K. Rowling said what she said. So if, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure Dr. Woods, if you're that familiar with what she said or the essay that followed, she tweeted out that she had some sort of issue and distinction between menstruating women and non-menstruating uh, trans folks and that's my understanding. People, please correct me if I'm wrong with that. And then that started it. And then she clarified, J.K. Rowling did, then uh, clarified with an essay that went into further details. And she, she, she's purporting to cite some studies after that. But Wait, sorry. Yeah. Before we ask that question, Dr. Parks, I'm sorry to interrupt. But sure. I just want to take a poll and see how many of us have actually read the Harry Potter series and are or were fans of it and J.K. Rowling. I've read it. I, I was not. huge in Harry Potter growing up. You know, Edgar? No, did not. Maybe watch a few movies, but not. Definitely been a reader, watch a whole series. Yeah, I watched a few movies. Um, I read it to my kids, though. <laughs> I had they, they birthday parties where we would go to Barnes & Noble for the opening night, and I would go to the you know midnight premiere of the Harry Potter movies. So I was really into Harry Potter growing up. You were a Harry Potter nerd. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Alan, well, don't, don't feel badly because my daughter, um, which was the one, which one, which one had, um, 
boy, I can't remember. I think it was the second book. But anyway, she was so excited that when Midnight Tosha came, because that's when they could sell them at the bookstore, she was a group of a whole line full of people, and she read this thick book in one night. Exactly. So it's very evident that for people of a certain generation, late Gen Zs or early millennials, the Harry Potter series is very, very significant. And that means, by default, that J.K. Rowling has a tremendous influence on a lot of young people. But young people are understanding that just because they wrote these books, that boomers don't always know everything about everything. And it's just very, very important for millennials to attempt to try to educate us on stuff that we think we know about, but we don't really know about because that was okay in 1984 when we thought that, but we started going to sleep when we turned 40 years old and we've been asleep ever since. Yeah, yeah, so uh, so maybe you could speak a little bit to that um, about her uh, J.K. Rowling's comments, which let's say, let's say let's say the first one, which is the experience. This is why I'm I'm trying to infer what she said. Also, the experience of um, women who are menstruating is fundamentally different than a trans woman, and I need to say that. I need to make people recognize that that is important to make that distinction. So what is your thoughts on that? Well, I think that J.K. Rowling feels like that she's a woman because she has or has had the ability to menstruate. That's fine. I'll never have a period. But I, I determine my identity based on the fact that I've cried a woman's tears. And they're very different on estrogen than they are on testosterone. And I've known a woman's pain. And that's hearing, hearing you say that, to me it's interesting and it sort of highlights the role of the ally because I felt a little bit of sort of defensiveness on your behalf when I had, when I heard you say in response to J.K. Rowling, which we're sort of discussing as a whole group, you answered with I and, and you're the only one in the group that has to answer that with I. I think hence the role of the ally to say, this is a ridiculous idea that, and it's arbitrary to classify a woman based on a period, which by the way, women don't get after a certain age. So are they not women anymore? And some women have <laughs> never a had a period. Some women have never had a period and trans, and there are yeah. some trans men that continue to have periods. This is, was her tweet. People who menstruate, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Somebody help me out. Wombin, wimbun, woman. That's very snarky. What's, yeah. what, what's the purpose of that? Why are you deliberately being hurtful for people? You know, we've already set a record in the United States for, for the number of transgender people that have been murdered. And the previous record was last year. 26 people that were trans were murdered in this country. Through the end of July, it had already been 27 people. And these types of statements embolden people to act out in a certain way. And we're seeing that in other areas and in other venues and, the, and in other topics of conversation, too, as well. So what she's doing is extraordinarily hurtful. And people can die as a result of these kinds of ideas that are being put in her head. She wants to have these ideas. That's fine. She, you know what? I've got two words to say to J.K. Rowling. Okay, Boomer. Okay, that's fine. You can, you can <laughs> just take those. You can just take those ideas, but you have a special platform. And if you cannot use those to unite and instead use those to divide, that makes you no different from other people that are, that are, that are doing that same type of behavior right now. So I think with great 
power mm-hmm. comes great responsibility because all those people read your books and they are listening and they're hanging on what you say. So I think there's a responsibility to use a little bit more wisdom before you take that public forum and use it to try to trash down people that you say you don't know about, but you have not lived their experience and you don't know anything about them. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking with Dr. Jamie Woods about the comments by author J.K. Rowling about trans folks and trans issues. She felt that she wanted to voluntarily comment, and you made a good point, Dr. Woods, about how she's making an effort to be divisive. And I agree with you. That does seem to be what's going on, that she wants to uh, call out something about menstruation and about how that separates folks and for what purpose. And she, she came back and said, well, wait, but I'm, so let's talk about now the second part of it, which was the essay. Let's wait, wait, I, I, I want to say, I think yes, her purpose Tosha. is outlined in her last paragraph when she says, um, well, I'll, I'll just read, read it, the quote. I stand alongside the brave women and men, gay, straight, and trans, who are standing up for freedom of speech and thought and for the rights and safety of some of the most vulnerable in our society. Young gay kids, fragile teenagers, women who are reliant on and wish to retain their single-sex spaces. Polls show, and these are not, not cited polls, some polls that she's referencing, polls show those women are in the vast majority and exclude only those privileged or lucky enough never to have come up against male violence or sexual assault and who have never troubled to educate themselves on how prevalent it is. All I'm asking, all I want is for similar empathy, similar understanding to be extended to the many millions of women whose sole crime is wanting their concerns to be heard without receiving threats and abuse. I don't think that this is just about being heard. I think that this is creating a space for policies to be created that would uh, damage safety for the trans community. I don't even understand what she's saying there. Is she saying that women who feel that trans women aren't women are somehow like victims of violence because they can't? voice their hate speech with dr woods you know we're having the same argument right now about people of color in this country what's the difference between black lives matter and all lives matter there's a parable in the bible about the lost sheep and i don't i'm not a religious person the organized religion has not been my friend growing up but i do want to quote this there's a parable in luke where the shepherd had a hundred sheep and the shepherd misplaced one sheep. One sheep had gotten lost and he was staying out late at night looking for a sheep after the other sheep had gone home. And the family said, listen, you need to come back in. What's one sheep? And the shepherd said, you don't understand. I'm not worried about the other 99. They're safe. I'm worried about the one that's lost. And J.K. Rowling Rowling talks about, yes, all female lives matter. But what I think she's missing is that trans female lives are at high risk. And by making these types of statements, she's not educating people. She's emboldening people. 
emboldening people, and her comments are not meant to unify. And that's just in today's environment in this country, having divisive speech like this, we have to decide. And we were talking about being an ally. So what does being an ally mean? It means that when you're hanging out and kicking it with your friends and somebody says something transphobic, if you are really an ally, you have to call them out. And you have to say, you know, what you said was really transphobic. Because that's the only thing that really is going to change because there are not enough of us to be able to change it for ourselves. And we need you guys, if you're really truly calling yourselves allies, to say more than just trans lives matter and to be able to call out your friends when they use this transphobic speech. And that's what I'm doing right now with Miss Rowling. And if Miss Rowling wants to appear on this uh, beside me, we'll have a good long conversation about this whole thing. I I think that's exactly right, uh, Dr. Woods. I also want to comment on her argument about safety. A lot of times she's bringing up the safety of women, of girls, um, and this is one of her big kind of fear-mongering arguments. Um, and she references a Scottish gender recognition bill that's getting passed, pushed along. Um, I And she said that terrifies her, that she read it and it terrified her. Um, and it, 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 then she goes on to talk about her own history of being a victim in domestic violence. But I actually looked at, which I, w- I want to talk about later, but I actually looked at the Scottish Gender Recognition Bill. So this is what it does. It retains the requirement that applicants, and I'm reading this from BBC, retains the requirement that applicants must make a solemn statutory declaration that they have been living in their acquired gender for three months and intend to do so permanently. Um, her argument was that all a man has to do is say that he's trans and then he'll get into women's bathrooms. So I'm going to keep going. A minimum three-month period of reflection between applying for a certificate and confirming the application would also be introduced as part of the bill. It would mean applicants must have lived in their acquired gender for a minimum of six months before a certificate is granted. It would also retain the position that a false statutory declaration is a criminal offense and introduce a new offense of false application, each with a potential punishment of up to two years imprisonment. Meanwhile, the minimum age of application would also be reduced from 18 to 16 as part of the proposals. And I think I want to talk about that, too, in this episode. Um, But this is a quote from the Cabinet Secretary of Scotland um, that was in this BBC article. I understand that predatory men will always seek to find ways to harm women. That's not a new problem in Scottish or global society, nor is it a problem created by or the fault of trans people. What do you guys think about that? Well, in the United States of America, at some point in our country's history, you had to demonstrate the ability to read or write before you could step into a voting booth. And if you were female before August 28th of 1920, it didn't make any difference if you could read or write or not. You were not allowed to vote if you were a woman. So this artificial thing that you have to live in a certain identity for three months It's the same type of stuff that has been used to exclude people from the voting privileges that we've, you know, begun to enjoy in our country. And it's just a spurious. It's just a false argument. We are still waiting for the first little girl to get raped by a trans girl in a bathroom in this country and presumably in the entire world. If she's worried about women's health, she should worry about me going into a men's bathroom because I'm going to be a lot higher risk if I walk in there with stiletto heels on and a pencil skirt and a suit. That's a fantastic point. And I feel like if if she's so worried about sexual assault, maybe she should talk about fraternities. Yeah, it does seem like she's repeating the uh, special rights argument that um, these folks are getting special rights. 
That's what we need special rights because of the horrific disparities that we face. Black people need special rights in this country. That's why black lives matter, and that's why trans lives matter. And if you want to talk about intersectional racism, talk about the talk about the combination of being a black transgender female in this country because the vast majority of people in this country that were murdered this year were black. And if you're a black trans woman of color, you're 83 times more likely to be HIV positive because you're not going to be able to get a job. And the only job you're going to be able to get is working a night job or working as a sex worker. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But before we can just sit there and say that we have Okay, I'm going off. I'm going off. Calm down. No, 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 this is, yeah, go ahead. I just want to add, I think just to try to summarize what we've been discussing, uh, to me, this is something that it's been fairly new to me, you know, like the uh, getting to know more about transgender, getting to know more the activism in different situations. But everything goes back to the same thing about discrimination, the stigma, which we see all the time in mental health. Uh, the lack of acceptance for change, and we do need to do all. Of, we do need to do a lot of uh, changes because uh, a lot of the ideas and behaviors that we have there are completely outdated. You know, once we have now a society that is more diverse, which everybody should have the same rights, and and it goes back to just discrimination and the stigma. And, and I, if I can give you some statistics, Doctor Woods and people, from what you were just saying, yes. Everything from homicide rates, uh, police brutality, it's increased for people who are transgender as well as color. And when you put the two together, it's even worse. So uh, trans, transgender people of color are at six times higher risk of police violence. When uh, you will see this, it's way low. And this is based on 2013, which is uh, one of the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Programs. It's probably outdated at this time, and it's higher than that. Like you said, uh, for transgender women, Homicide rates are like at least 72% probably more right now. And we do see other things like mental health, you know, issues. Like um, it creates a whole new thing in terms of like having six times more likelihood of having a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder, at least three times or more of getting some sort of treatment for this, and six times more of being hospitalized after a suicide attempt. So if you see that's all what society has led to because we as humans don't like change. And we, I guess, unconsciously or consciously, consciously choose to discriminate or put a label and stigmatize people. I want to mention that. I want to mention one more thing in the few minutes that we have left. 16% of the trans population in this country is estimated to be black. But 80% of the known transgender homicide victims are black. If you are a transgender woman of color, you're 83 times more likely to be HIV positive. The average lifespan for a transgender woman of color in the United States, and this was estimated by a researcher in Atlanta, I'll quote my statistics, is noted to be between 35 and 37 years of age. If homicide doesn't get you HIV, will suicide. 41% of us attempt to take our own life. Well, if you're living your dream, why are you taking your own life? Well, we would be deliriously happy if the rest of the world would just leave us alone and just let us navigate our path through life. Our suicide rate would go down to just the general population in that specific interest. And nobody's ever going to go to jail in the United States for murdering a transgender woman. I've been raped twice, I've been, and I've been raped by the evangelical legal system. I've been threatened with jail by a judge in Memphis, Tennessee two years ago for 10 days criminal contempt of court for every article of women's clothing that I purchased. This cost me $8 at Walmart. I'm pointing to a plastic bracelet. 
I'll go to jail for 10 days if I go back to Tennessee for that, but I could spend $300 for a men's suit. My friend Nia Brooks-Smith had a 100-round AK, she's a trans girl, beautiful trans girl. She had a 100-round clip buried into her car. She caught two bullets, one in each thigh. One shattered her left femur. The other one was just a millimeter away from her femoral artery. She would have bled to death right there in the middle of the street. And the man that shot her, who had previously shot another trans girl, is never going to go to jail. He's never been a day in jail, and he never will. The man that raped me, I turned him into the police. He's never gone to jail, and he never will. So we're not going to get any justice. All we need to be able to do is just not have people make it worse, like J.K. Rowling and all the other transphobic people that are out there. Just give us a chance to live. That's all we're asking. Um, I I'm I want to talk about that so much, and there's just so much else I want to talk about before we before we end because we only have a few minutes left. I also want to hear your guys's opinion on some of the stuff that J.K. Rowling said about gender reassignment. And how afterwards studies, again, unnamed studies, have consistently shown that between 60 to 90 percent of gender dysphoric teens will grow out of the, their dysphoria. She also argues that there's social pressure causing groups of people to identify trans at a time. Um, and then 4,400 percent increase. Yes, that's what she said. She goes on to talk about a trans woman, I believe, who she knows who is older. She went through a long and rigorous process of evaluation, psychotherapy and stage transformation. And I want to ask you guys, like, what is she trying to say here? Is she trying to say that one has to prove their gender dysphoria by suffering for decades before a cis person will acknowledge their true identity? Does a trans person have to prove their gender identity to a cis person in order to get gender reassignment treatment? Gen gender affirming surgery. Thank you. Sorry. Gender no, affirmative. Or gender treatment. confirming. Yeah. I think there's a few times where there are shrapnels of good points in her arguments that are totally invalid because She's using them to support basically her hate speech agenda, right? So the idea that the process of transition could be improved upon, I think is valid because it's been around for very little time and we're still getting better at it and we're still learning from trans folks how to best do this. But the idea that she as an anti-trans person is gonna weigh in on that, probably not as valid. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Um, certainly about 14% of adolescent females, uh, or excuse me, adolescent uh, young boys and girls, they question their gender identity. They absolutely do. And it's absolutely okay in a safe environment for them to question their gender identity. And she is correct because if only 1% of people are transgender, what happened to the other 13%? Well, they were they were bi-curious. They were gender-curious. They explored it. They found out that it wasn't for them, and that's fine. That's absolutely okay. But for that one kid out there that is trans, that person is going to hear J.K. Rowling. Do you know they have a 51% suicide attempt rate when one member in their family is non-affirming? Over half these kids will wow. take their own life or will attempt to take their own life it's hard to be a it's hard to be a 13 year old trans girl it's very very difficult to navigate that environment and then to have somebody over here that's just throwing gasoline on this on this transphobic fire it's it's just it's got to stop and that's why we're having this conversation and that's why we're having this dialogue right now i know we're running out of time and 
um, if we want to talk about it uh, again, we can get some more questions and we can do it again. I think we absolutely will do that. Thank you very much, Dr. Woods. That's all the time Thank we have you, here Dr. on Woods. this. It's this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about trans issues and especially the comments from author J.K. Rowling. Thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded by e in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Font. So special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. <laughs>